DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Albert the Great presents St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. Father McDermott is a Dominican priest and region of studies of the province of St. Albert the Great. He's the author of Filled with All the Fullness of God, An Introduction to Catholic Spirituality, and Catherine of Siena, Spiritual Development in Her Life and Teaching. Proclaimed a Doctor of the Church in 1970, St. Catherine of Siena is considered one of the great mystical doctors of the Church. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has said that she still speaks to us today and impels us to walk courageously toward holiness to be ever more fully disciples of the Lord. St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father McDermott, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome, Chris. We are taking a look at the stages of spiritual development as taught by St. Catherine of Siena. Not just one piece of work that she's given to us, but in the totality of her spiritual life. That's right. And I think the value of studying Catherine's teaching on the stages of spiritual life has something to do with uh, the meaning of an old Latin expression, ignoti nulla cupido, those who do not know of something have no, no desire for it, because the stages of the spiritual life impart to us an awareness of a better love or a higher love or a purer love of God and neighbor. They give us something to aspire to, and I think this is their primary value. When we talk about this third section, actually, it comprises of, of two stages, a, a third and a fourth, one that is mm-hmm. the third being most perfect love and the fourth stage being a perfect union. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's interesting that, that those would be two different points. Well, my, it was a little confusing to me when I first read it, and other commentators, too, I think were a little bit confused by it. Normally, uh, in many paradigms of the spiritual life, there are three stages, which basically represent the beginning, uh, the middle, and the end. Proficient, or incipient, proficient, perfect would be one model. The model we're following is something like purgative, illuminative, unitive, which comes from pseudo-Dionysius. But Catherine departs from that threefold model and surprises us with a fourth stage. And this fourth stage is a kind of intermittent stage where the soul experiences intermittently uh, the presence of God. It's her explanation for mystical experiences, which in another place in the dialogue, she says we should never seek out really, but if if the Lord grants them, okay. But uh, they're not things to be sought. And if you look at in the writings of St. John of the Cross, he speaks, as does St. Catherine, of a log on the fire. And the fire is uh, God's divine presence, and it envelops the log. In the beginning, the, the log has some moisture in it, and it crackles, and it pops, and that's the purgative stage. And then eventually the fire consumes the whole log, and at a certain point, there are little flares of flame that shoot up from the log. The whole log is, is red, and it's glowing, but there would be you know, this, this flame shooting up. And that flame... Uh, represents really Catherine's fourth stage. It's that intermittent experience of the closeness of God. The rest of the time when there's no intermittent flame, uh, the soul senses its presence with God. 
but doesn't uh, have an experience of it um, as it would in the, the fourth stage. On the Christ bridge, we find ourselves at his mouth of all mm-hmm. places. And it, that idea of the kiss, it really is more of a the spiritual intimacy, isn't it? It is, and it's taken from the very first sentence in the Old Testament book, Song of Songs, sometimes called the Song of Solomon, where it says, let me kiss him with the kiss of my mouth. And so it's scriptural. Much of what Catherine says is a commentary on scripture. And the significance of this kiss is that um, peace ensues because the conflict, the war, as she would describe it, between our human fallen human will and God's divine will, always at conflict or seemingly often at conflict, has now subsided. There's peace has ensued. So it's the kiss of peace, maybe reminiscent of the liturgy. So that's, that's what happens essentially in the third stage. And it's in this stage where the pilgrim traveler is a friend and then is also going to be transformed into the child of God or the son or the daughter of God. And this, to me, was very interesting when I first studied St. Catherine of Siena because she herself underwent the mystical experience of the mystical espousals. We don't know whether it was uh, an engagement with Christ or an actual marriage with Christ. It doesn't really matter. But because of that and because of the importance that it had in her own life and how it represented a a deepening of her love for God and uh, a broadening of her outreach to to people and showing her love to them, we would have expected, or I would have expected, that at the very pinnacle of her Christbridge, that the highest image that she would have for the pilgrim traveler at this point, you know, would be uh, uh, bridal imagery, perhaps. But she doesn't do that. I've sometimes wondered, well, is it because she was writing to everybody, unlike St. Teresa of Avila, who was writing to her own nuns. Catherine's writing to men and women in all states of life, and she didn't want any to feel excluded if we're going to talk about brides or grooms that would enter in. Either image, the bridal image or the son or daughter image, are perfectly scriptural. But she, she goes with the son or daughter image. And I think the reason is, is because being a son or a daughter is a stable relationship. Uh, there's no chance it's going to come and go. Uh, there's no, it doesn't depend on emotional, on emotions or feelings. It's a very stable thing. But she's also careful to say that the son or the daughter of God does not cease to be a friend. So we could talk about the friend who's the son or the friend who's the daughter of God. And being a child of God, well, that's an image that we find all over the writings of John in the New Testament and the Gospel and in his letters, and then also in St. Paul's writings. In fact, it's given rise to a very durable doctrine in the history of Christianity, the doctrine of divine adoptive filiation, which essentially is that all of us are called to be what Jesus Christ is by nature, a son of God, um, and that our call is to be a son or daughter of God through grace participation in his own life. As you've written in this particular stage, the pilgrim traveler now glories not in spiritual pleasures, but in suffering. Glories in suffering. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's something I think we've discussed before, but it is a difficult concept for us, but particularly in our culture, because we do everything we can to run from it. Right. And it's hard for me to understand, too. But, you know, we all suffer in life, and uh, whether we're followers of Christ or not, but to accept that suffering that can't be changed, which is really what the meaning of the cross is, and not just to accept it, but possibly even embrace it and choose it for ourselves. This is what we're called to. This is the kind of, of faith and love and obedience that Christ demonstrates for us on the cross. Not my will, but your will be done. And that we're called to do this too, so that we live no longer for ourselves, but we live for God. And that's going to involve uh, suffering. And Catherine didn't dodge it. She came to embrace it. I I don't know if I could say she enjoyed it. Who would enjoy suffering? Mm -hmm. It was meaningful for her to suffer for the sake of Christ. Also the importance of God's honor and the salvation of souls. She really, I think, is a patron of the new evangelization because that really was her mission, was to evangelize help us to understand our identity as God's children and to bring as many as possible into that relationship. Yes, you're right. I hadn't thought about that before, but she is a wonderful example of the new evangelization. She was always eager to share her faith with others. And um, in doing that, she was also an exemplary Dominican because Dominicans, the Dominican order was founded for the salvation of souls. That was something that that thrilled her, that she could be involved in that. She was a layperson. She wasn't a nun. She didn't live in a convent. But she didn't see that as any kind of an obstacle to her sharing the word with others. And she always did that. And I mentioned earlier that in the 11 letters that we have that she wrote to the various popes during her lifetime, she's always sharing the faith with her, too. We might call it preaching, but um, it's not the kind of preaching that takes place in a pulpit kind of sharing of the faith, and it usually uh, contained a, a share of exhortation, you know, kind of get your act together sort of thing. So she is a good example of that, of sharing the faith with others, not just through her words or her letters, but through her, her life and her willingness to do anything for anyone out of love for God. In the fourth stage, that, that stage of perfect union, it's, it's perfect in grace, but imperfect, given what the soul will experience in union with God in heaven. Well, yes, we can never experience heaven in this life. The only way you do so is to die. That's, uh, and then you pass through the gate, which is Christ, into the peaceful sea. Now, I know we live at a time in which, you know, several people have claimed to have died and experience things on the other side and come back to tell us about it. Some of them, some of the things they say square with Catholic teaching, a lot of it doesn't. But Catherine, who underwent a mystical death experience and the family and her neighbors too all thought she was dead and from the sounds of it even started making her funeral preparations, she awoke. I don't think she ever claimed to have died, but she did glimpse the other side. And in Catholic teaching, that's the most that any of us can do. We can have near-death experiences, but it's only those who die definitively <laughs> who go through the gate and, and have that 
firsthand experience on the other side. There's something in that experiencing a, a seeing of sorts of something. I Correct me if I'm wrong, Father McDermott, but didn't St. Thomas Aquinas have something like that in prayer at one point where he experienced something so rich that it just he just stopped? That's right. He just put his pen down. He couldn't go any further. In the last 20 or 30 years, some commentators have gone so far as to say he had a nervous breakdown, which I think is a complete misinterpretation of the record. I think that, you know, he just, he just had uh, an awareness of the immensity of God, which he always had before, but it must have come to him in a new way. So that, as he said to one of his secretaries, he now realized that everything he had done up to this point was just a worthless draw mm-hmm. and that he wasn't going to uh, write anymore. And he didn't. And so the Summa Theologiae, which is his master work, is really unfinished. The, the third section of it, the third part of it is unfinished. In that experience of seeing, she speaks of that as truth. She refers to truth with a capital T over and over and over again. And you've told us before that that is key to understanding the Dominican spirituality. Sometimes Christ is described in the dialogue by God the Father as my sweet first truth or truth. And uh, maybe that's the reason why it's capitalized. And Jesus did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there is a kind of a deliberate confusion between Jesus Christ, the truth, and the truth that is the correct knowledge of anything, but most especially of God and the human person. I find it fascinating that in this particular stage where we've experienced through Catherine's writings, this understanding of not only that perfect union, but of that Uh kiss of the mouth, that perfect union with God, that it, in very practical way, it reminds me of uh, that seventh mansion of Teresa of Avila, where you would think you'd be in this this incredible ecstasy and total remove from the world, but in reality, you're very much a part of the world, and you just keep going. I mean, it's almost you, you're just so at peace with an awareness of God's presence and his reality in you that you are even more engaged and what you're doing in the world. Well, that's, that's really intriguing. I uh, had forgotten that about St. Teresa of Avila, but that certainly describes Catherine of Siena. She was very aware of what was going on around her. She was very engaged. Uh, she wrote so many letters to heads of state, so she wasn't an aloof, absent-minded mystic by any means. She was very much present. We'll return in just a moment to... St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings, with Father Thomas McDermott. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, 
the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Catherine of Siena O Supreme Physician, O unspeakable love of my soul, I have recourse to Thee, O infinite and eternal Trinity. I, though unworthy, ardently sigh for Thee. I turn to Thee in the mystical body of Thy holy Church, so that Thou mayest wash away with Thy grace all stains of my soul. I beseech thee, through the merits of St. Peter, to whom thou hast committed the care of thy bark, to delay no longer to help thy spouse, who hopes in the fire of thy charity and in the abyss of thy admirable wisdom. Despise not the desires of thy servants, but do thou thyself guide thy holy bark. O thou, the author of peace, Draw unto thyself all the faithful. Dispel the darkness of the storm, so that the dawn of thy light may shine upon the head of thy church and pour down upon him zeal for the salvation of souls. O eternal and merciful Father, thou hast given us the means of restraining the arms of thy justice in the humble prayer and ardent desires of thy devoted servants, whom thou hast promised to hear when they ask thee to have mercy upon the world. O powerful and eternal God, I thank thee for the peace which thou wilt grant to thy spouse. I will enter into thy gardens, and there I will remain until I see the fulfillment of thy promises, which never fail. Wash away our sins, O Lord and purify our souls in the blood which thy only begotten Son shed for us. So with that joyful countenance and pure hearts, we may return love for love, and dying to ourselves, live for him alone. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, Or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings, with Father Thomas McDermott. Father McDermott, as we bring to a close our just wonderful time together in looking at the life of St. Catherine of Siena and 
breaking open her teachings for us, there are several key points that we probably should want to make sure we bring forward. And one that stands out for me is her her great humility, but also her desire for us not to get caught up in the pride of intellectual pursuit at the cost of not seeking within the heart. Right. And um, that's a very important teaching of hers. She criticizes people who know only the surface of the outer rind mm. uh, instead of the marrow of something. They get caught in the details or the footnotes and they miss the forest for the trees sort of thing. Really, if one's interest in theology, if one's own spiritual thought doesn't result in charity, then something's wrong somewhere. I mean, we've missed the point. And humility is the basis of all virtue. Uh, pride is its opposite. And so we, it was Hans Urs von Balthasar who said that uh, all theology should be done on our knees, you know, an attitude of humility and maybe receptivity to the Lord. You know, all down, throughout all the centuries of Christianity, there have been people men and women, priests and, and lay people who have had uh, superb graduate degrees or the equivalent in theology and philosophy, but were utterly unloving and cold. And Catherine is very harshly critical of such people as having missed the point of the whole thing, that they know only the outer rind, but uh, not the morrow. I think it was quoted in your book that love transforms one into what one loves. Yes. It's not original to Catherine. You know, I think Augustine was one of the first to say it, but she picks it up and runs with it in her own beautiful and practical way. Um, you said as well that the knowledge of God, she would insist, is always transformative. That's right. It's not useless pieces of information that God discloses about himself. It all has relevance to our ongoing transform transformation into gleaming, beautiful images of the one image of God, Christ Jesus. And um, so knowledge is not information. It's meant to be knowledge of the truth. What are some of the things that you would want us to walk away with? You've given so much of your time and, and energy, not only in your book, but in the, in the series that we've just done. But if there was just some Key points, once again, you'd like to reiterate about St. Catherine of Siena, the woman you've come to know so well. What mm -hmm. would they be? Certainly the role of correct knowledge of the truth about God and ourselves, and that if you have a wrong idea about truth, uh, we're going to love God wrongly, love ourselves wrongly, love others wrongly. So defective knowledge leads to defective love. And how do we come to know the truth? Doesn't mean we have to take out a membership in a university library, although the studying of, of good religious books, particularly the classics and, and theology and spirituality, are there for us to study. But through contemplation and, and through prayer, we acquire knowledge of God. Through the teachings of the church, we acquire knowledge of the truth through our human relationships, through scripture, especially knowledge of the truth, all of these things. So 
Growth in the spiritual life isn't a matter of uh, kind of grim determination, gritting our teeth, violent acts of the will, but expanding our knowledge of the truth. And as if you come to think about it, many times the way in which the Lord blesses us is simply through new knowledge of the truth or deeper knowledge or an expanded perspective on the truth. That's how the Lord's blessings, I think, many times come to us, at least in my life, because there are many sources of truth in this life. And then I would say another point in her spiritual thought is um, if you want to know how close you are to God and how holy you are, all you have to do is look at the quality of your human relationships because one mirrors the other. Uh, the way we relate to God, if we use Him, if we only pay attention to God because of what we hope to get out of Him, uh, chances are we're going to relate to our neighbor in the same way, just for what we can get out of them. And so this is a very practical teaching. And then to be Christ-like is to acquire the virtues. Uh, it's much more than just keeping the commandments, but to acquire the virtues, principally faith, hope, and charity, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. And there are many others, hundreds of others of virtues. And the virtues give us something to aspire to, that Christianity is a positive option. It's not a matter of merely giving things up. As Benedict XVI used to say, God never takes away anything of value. Another theme in her teaching would be grace as a participation in God's life. That Christianity is not merely a matter of adhering to a code of morality. It's much more than that. It's a relationship with a person. And that the person of Christ desires to change us into himself, not simply into moral or good rule keepers, but to actually transform us into a likeness of himself. This is the do doctrine of deification, a, a word that Catherine didn't use, but it's all over on the pages of the dialogue. I would say that uh, another truth of hers is that the fundamental truth, what it means to be human, is that we're made in the image and the likeness of God. And that's very positive. Only secondarily, do we need to bring in the fact that we've been wounded by sin, both actual and original sin? Sin is saying to God, uh, I no longer want to be your son or daughter. So we have that component on, on grace. And then I would say regarding sin, she says, like anything else, many different things, but essentially that sin is rebelling against God and against ourselves because we're made in his image and likeness. And sin always affects the sinner insofar as it shrinks his humanity. It shrinks, it, it, it disfigures uh, the image and the likeness of God in which he's uh, created. So I think, you know, in summary, these are the major points that St. Catherine reminds us of. And they're not original to her. They've always been in the tradition, uh, but she brings them to light and she puts emphasis on them um, in a way in which maybe they hadn't been too emphasized before. She was very positive. She was very hopeful. And, um, and I might also mention, uh, finally, that a principle of hers is that to genuinely love 
Jesus means to love his body, the church. That her love for Jesus, as it deepened, it expanded into her love for the church. This is what we're called to do, is to love Christ, love his body, the church, and to be prepared to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of Christ and his church. I believe Pope Benedict XVI referred to her as a spiritual mama. I would say that you've been a very good son. We just really, truly appreciate the wonderful door you've opened for us to the saint to to teach us. Oh, undoubtedly, she does. She's taught me a lot. Uh, Much of what she says, particularly in her letters, are are of everlasting significance. They're very practical, very biblical. And Protestants, I might mention, in the last hundred years or so, have also been very interested in St. Catherine of Siena. The first translation of some of her letters was done by an Episcopalian in this country, Vida Scudder. The um, first critical edition of 80 of her letters was done by an Italian, Dupre Tysider, who was a Waldensian, a type of Protestant in Italy. So Protestants recognize in her, too, someone that they can identify with. Would you say we're at a new dawn then? for the teachings of the likes of St. Catherine of Siena? I think so. Sister Suzanne Nofke has done a great, a great service to the Church in translating absolutely all of St. Catherine's writings, 381 letters, the dialogue, the 26 prayers. It's something like uh, six, seven volumes that she's done. They're published by the University of Arizona Press and Paulus Press. So everything is there. When I was doing my own graduate studies on St. Catherine of Siena, I didn't have that advantage of having everything in English, but we do have it now. And at the risk of sounding boastful or proud, I would say, um, you know, with the appearance of my own modest work on St. Catherine of Siena and others, I think we are possibly at the dawn of a new rediscovery of St. Catherine's teaching, which up to this point has been Uh, neglected in the church, but it's very rich. Well, I would say that in that new dawn, she would be pointing us towards that open side. Father Thomas McDermott, thank you so very, very much. Oh, thanks. You've been listening to St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. To hear and or to download this recording along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Albert the Great. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, We hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott.